One of the um, recent comeback stories that I've just I've loved following internationally is, is the story of Tyson Fury. I've got a couple of pictures here. Tyson Fury is currently the uh, heavyweight champion of the world for boxing. Um, and he's a, he's a colourful character. On the right is what he looks like at the moment. On the left is... Um, a few years ago where he, by his own admission, kind of hit rock bottom. He, uh, his health had just bottomed out. He was, uh, he was suffering serious mental illness. There was drug addiction and alcohol uh, dependency kind of going on. And then in the midst of it all, he, he wrote in his autobiography, he had this profound encounter with God that became the catalyst for a real turnaround and was the beginning of this incredible comeback story where, again, from just being down and out and everyone writing him off, now is back the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And I, I love those stories because I don't know about you, I think, God, there's times in our lives where we feel down and out and we feel like all hope is lost. But to be reminded through the experiences of others that things can turn around, that there is hope for things to get better, that the valleys we're currently walking in aren't going to be where we stay or camp forever. We all need that encouragement in our worlds, I think. I know, again, for us living here in Christchurch, we have lived and continue to live through some pretty powerful comeback stories. Our, our city was devastated by the earthquakes almost 11 years ago, but as we are seeing more and more now from the ashes, from the destruction, from the tragedy of that, a whole new city is emerging, a new shape, a new, uh, so much freshness has come and that would not have come about without walking through the darkness of, and the tragedy of that earthquake. We also can kind of see that from the horror and the atrocity of the mosque terror attacks in 2019, a significant shift continues to stir in our city that rejects racism and hate and is seeking to aggressively promote harmony, understanding, and the richness that comes from embracing a diverse multicultural community. There are setbacks that we all face in life, but praise God that he is the God who can enable comebacks, whatever the setbacks may be. And so over these coming weeks, we're exploring this theme of, of, of comeback in scripture. We're going to explore some of the great comeback stories, and I'm just believing that in amongst that, God by his Holy Spirit is just going to be speaking to our hearts again to encourage us and equip us with all that we need to face 2022 with the uncertainty, the unpredictability that we know is part and parcel of it. I want you to know that God has placed something within your heart that is a deposit, that is a promise of his goodness and his faithfulness that would sustain you through whatever may come your way. Because God, by his very nature, is redemptive. He's the God of the great comeback, the God of the great turnaround, the God for whom nothing is impossible. He's the God of resurrection power. What that means is that when there's death, he brings life. That's the most profound sense of a comeback that there could ever be. And as followers of Jesus Christ, it's important that we recognize that we are a resurrection people. It's part of our identity, part of our story, whether we realize that or not. You know, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he wanted the Ephesian believers, people like you and I, gathered together in a church community. He wanted them to know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead was living inside of them, was present with them. 
in whatever they faced in life, God was there. And a key part of Paul's persuasive argument is to remind them that they can know that this is so because of the very fact that they are now part of God's family and they have been saved. Their own lives, Paul says, are evidence of the working of God's resurrection power within them. He wrote this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you are saved. That's good news this morning, isn't it? And what I love about these words, though they encourage us to look back and appreciate this incredible transformation that God has brought about in us, where you know, we were separated from God, alienated from him, and he has brought us near so that we know him and we know our place in his family. It's not just about looking back and saying, thank you for doing that, God. Paul's heart in writing this is also that we would know in looking back that it's only by the resurrection power of God at work in our lives that that transformation was able to take place. And God hasn't now left. Now that we're in his family, he hasn't gone, oh, well, you're in the family, I'm off. The Spirit of God is still living and active within each one of our lives. And so his encouragement in calling us to reflect is to actually have confidence for now and for the future that the same resurrection power of God is at work in our lives, is present with us in whatever setbacks we may face here and now. No matter what setbacks you may face or are facing, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is with you in the midst of that setback and in the midst of that valley. And so from that profound truth, we can have an expectation that our setback stories can become amazing comeback stories, not by our own cleverness, but by the grace, the power, and the faithfulness of God. Amen. One key scripture I want to look at this morning with you all, it comes from the Old Testament prophetic book of Hosea. And just before we have a look at that, a bit of background about Hosea in the Old Testament. Hosea lived in the northern kingdom some 200 years after the breakup of Israel into these two separate entities, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was really rapidly descending into chaos under possibly Israel's worst king, Jeroboam II. In the year 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire came and they decimated Israel, which the prophets had said was the consequence of their disobedience and their unfaithfulness to God. So chaos, defeat, destruction were the present reality of God's people at that time. But woven throughout Hosea's prophetic messages is a beautiful and powerful promise of future restoration for God's people because of God's faithfulness. God promised that the story wasn't over. There was yet a glorious comeback for them to look forward to and to believe for together. Though God had allowed Israel to experience the consequences of their disobedience, that was not the final word. There was yet hope for the future because of God's enduring love and faithfulness. Now chapter 14 of the book of Hosea is a concluding poem 
that beautifully summarizes some of these main ideas from the book. Let's have a look together. If you've got a Bible, turn there with me this morning on your device or whatever form it takes. This is the message version, which I, I just I really liked some of the wording in here. It says, Israel, come back. Return to your God. You're down, but you're not out. Prepare your confession and come back to God. Pray to him, take away our sin, accept our confession, receive as restitution our repentant prayers. Assyria won't save us. Horses won't get us where we want to go. We'll never again say our God to something we've made or made up. You're our last hope. Is it not true that in you the orphan finds mercy? And it continues and and it, it transitions here where God speaks And God says this, I will heal their waywardness. I will love them lavishly. My anger is played out. I will make a fresh start with Israel. He'll burst into bloom like a crocus in the spring. He'll put down deep oak tree roots. He'll become a forest of oaks. He'll become splendid like a giant sequoia, his fragrance like a grove of cedars. Those who live near him will be blessed by him. Be blessed and prosper like golden grain. Everyone will be talking about them, spreading their fame as the vintage children of God. Ephraim is finished with gods that are no gods. From now on, I'm the one who answers and satisfies him. I am like a luxuriant fruit tree. Everything you need, God says, is to be found in me. Isn't that beautiful? What a powerful, powerful word of hope. Now, contextually, within the story of of Hosea, it was very much true that Israel's decisions and unfaithfulness to God were the root cause of their suffering and their hardship. I just want to make clear this morning that not all of the setbacks we face in life are our own doing. The question of suffering is nowhere near as easy to answer as that. So I'm not saying that whatever setbacks you're facing are your own doing. That's certainly true for all of us some of the time because we do dumb stuff. We're human. However, there are just as many instances where we endure incredible hardship through no fault of our own. But what I'm saying this morning is that a heart attitude of surrender before God is a non-negotiable for all of us if we are to see him do what only he can do and bring about the comebacks from our setbacks. See, the onus in Hosea 14, before it starts to talk about all these beautiful promises that God has, the onus is on the people to come back to God, to turn back to him, to renew their dedication to him as the first crucial step on that comeback journey. There's a really important yet often misunderstood word to describe this coming back to God or turning back to him. It's the word repent. Repentance, our English word, it comes from the Hebrew word shub and the Greek word metanoia means a change of mind. To repent means to reorient your thinking and your living. It means to turn and go in a different direction. It means to come back to God, our creator, and surrender afresh to him. Now, I know like repentance as a term carries a significant amount of baggage. Repentance preaching has tended to be depicted as a real fire and brimstone approach where it's repent, turn, or burn. It's very confrontational. It's very negatively geared. 
And I don't know about you, but I often think that you know, when it comes to motivating certain behaviors in others, the old adage declares that there are two ways to move a stubborn donkey, the stick or the carrot. You want to move a stubborn donkey? Beat it. Try and motivate it to move out of the discomfort and the pain that it feels or dangle the carrot in front and motivate the donkey to move towards something that is attractive in its own right. The fire and brimstone approach whereby people are are threatened with the fires of hell if they don't repent is very much a stick approach. And can I just kind of say that, that for us as a church, it's not an approach that we believe is an effective one. Yes, it's biblical and it's theologically accurate to call everyone and anyone to repent. But we believe that to be effective in that call, it's important to be relational and it's important to adopt a carrot as opposed to a stick approach. See, there are numerous times in Scripture where the call for God's people to repent goes hand in hand, yes, with stark warnings of the dangers of persisting in rebellion. It's there. It's in there scripturally. But equally, there are times where repentance is linked more with the carrot instead of the stick. Here's a couple of examples. Romans 2.4 says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Having a revelation of how kind, how loving, how gracious God is as a carrot held out in front of us has the power by the Spirit of God to cause any human heart, no matter how hard, to go, wow, that's who God is? Well, why would I not want to know him? Why would I not want to surrender my whole life to him if that is who he is? Again, in Acts 3, it says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, here's a beautiful part of this aspect of repentance. Yes, it's about turning away from an old way of living, but it's about turning to a new way that by definition is always going to be far better, far healthier, and far more free than whatever we've lived in previously. God will only call us to turn to him and turn to a new direction that is in our own best interests and so that we can serve him and his purposes more effectively in our lives. The call to repent is a call to turn to something that is better by far. It's a beautiful thing. It's not just a one-off decision that any of us make. We're all works in progress, becoming more like Jesus We can trust him to progressively reveal areas of our lives where we need to turn around and go in a different direction, change our thinking, change the way that we're living, come into line with his intention for our lives. In Hosea 14, there's a beautiful carrot that's dangled before the people, that beautiful picture of a fresh start that God says there is in the future for his people, where it's this beautiful, fruitful image, its vitality, its provision, its blessing. God says, I have all this for you. But in order to step into it, it requires a turning and a change of direction. That picture in Hosea 14 is so powerful at a time where God's people would have felt like they've just been chopped down and left for dead and no hope. God said, there is a comeback. There is a future that is blossoming 
The image of that tree in Hosea 14, this beautiful, fruitful, abundant tree, it calls to mind the promises that God gave to Abraham all the way back in Genesis, where God said, hey, Abraham, through you and your seed, through you and your line, all nations on earth will be blessed. That's referenced here in Hosea 14. It's not just about them and their future. It's about what God wants to do through them and other nations and other peoples being blessed through them. But, you know, for that beautiful prophetic picture to ever be fulfilled, it will require a definitive act of God's grace and healing power to repair the brokenness and the sinfulness of humanity. And that is why the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is of such significance to us. Because in Jesus, God has acted definitively and decisively in his grace and healing power to repair the brokenness and sinfulness of humanity and raise up a people of his own who would be a conduit of blessing to the whole planet, to every tribe and tongue, to every nation. Here's where I want to land this for today. In order for that beautiful promise of a comeback to become a reality, it first required a coming back of the people of God, a, a renewing of their dedication to God, a recognition that they, they just drifted from him, and God was calling them back in his love. You know, this year, before any comeback that we want to see in our own lives or circumstances, let's choose today to first and foremost just come back to God and just lay our whole lives before him and say, God, before anything else that we seek, we seek you. We just seek you. I kind of feel like it's really appropriate on this first day of being able to gather together to make a point of saying, God, we're not just coming back to the building, we're coming back to you. And God, our desire above all else this year is to live our lives centered on you because you are the God of the comeback. And in seeking you, we believe that you're the one who's able to transform whatever setbacks we face into comebacks. But it all starts, God, with you.